This podcast is brought to you by 87.7 Barrack FM, Lancaster Student Sound. Hello and welcome to the Lancaster Film Club podcast. Each week we're going to be exploring, dissecting and analysing a new film. We're doing this podcast in collaboration with Take-Two Cinema and Lancaster University Comedy Institute. If you want to get involved with any of uh, those societies, if you want to get involved with Bailrig or podcasting or the Film Club podcast, uh, you can send a message to any of us on Facebook or Instagram uh, if you want to get involved. We're going to be discussing um, The P- the Pianist today, uh, 2002. as uh, a war, tragedy, holocaust film. It's very, very, very heavy. I wasn't ready for this one at all because I had no idea what it was going to be about going in. Um, we are going to be talking about spoilers. We're going to be sharing our thoughts on the film, talking about what we liked, what we didn't like. Um, so if you haven't seen the film yet, check it out and then pop back. This week we're joined by me, Ollie. We've got Tristan, John and... So just a little bit of background information about the film. It's a, Like I say, it's a 2002 war biographical tragedy. It's based on a true story produced and directed by Roman Polanski and starring Adrian Brody. It is based on the autobiographical book The Pianist, published in 1946, a Holocaust memoir by the Polish Jewish... Polish Jewish pianist and composer Vladislav Spilman. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And that's what I'm going to go with. It's quite it's quite a tricky one. Who's an actual Holocaust survivor? The film received widespread critical acclaim, uh, with critics celebrating Polanski's direction and um, Brody's performance. It's got incredibly high reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It's on about 96%. Uh, it's won multiple awards. The 75th Academy Awards. The film won Best Director. Polanski won that. Best Adapted Screenplay. Best Actor, and nominated for four others, including Best Picture. Um, so what do we what do we all think about the film? It's a cracker. It's a. It's, <laughs> yeah, well, had we yeah. had we seen it before? Had anyone seen it before? No. Nope. Oh, okay, we all went into it blind then. No, it's very heavy, as he said. I didn't know what to expect really, but oof, that was a that was a heavy, dark film, but brilliant, man, fantastic. Yeah, I think it was it was appropriately heavy, really, given the subject matter. Yeah, I think it was very effective. Oh, and why did you? Because uh, it was your nomination. Uh, this week how come you chose it um i just heard it was a good film a friend recommended it to me i saw it like one oscars and stuff and i thought yeah why not <laughs> I, did, I literally didn't know anything about it i literally didn't know anything except the title of it so but yeah i'm glad i chose it now yeah it's fantastic so i've um i've put together sort of as we normally do some um notes and i'm going to run through the plot like i say it's a very long film and it deals with a very um serious subject matter and i've had a condensed the entire film down to the same number of notes we did for the Truman Show, which is an entirely different film. So I apologise if I miss anything really important out. Um, we did about two hours on the Truman Show last week, and this is a much deeper, complex um, topic the film is covering. So uh, unless we want it to be seven hours long, we might have to skip over some like important parts of the film. But we're going to do our best to cover it as, as deeply as we can. Um, when I was doing some like background reading for this film, um, I didn't know much about Roman Polanski. I recognised the name when I heard it was directed by him, and I thought, how do I know that name? Um, but when I looked into him, it turns out he's actually like a real Holocaust survivor. He's like his Polish Jewish parents. I've got some notes here. His Polish Jewish parents moved to uh, Krakow from Poland in 1937. Two years later, Poland was invaded by Nazi Germany. Um, And he experienced a lot of sort of what goes on in the film. He is a real Holocaust survivor. And that I only learned that after I watched the movie and it really sort of um, reshaped how I thought about it. Did did you guys go into the film knowing that Polanski had this um, had the experience of the Holocaust or was this something that you only learned about after? And how does it sort of shape your understanding of the film? I only learned about it after. Um, 
I, I only learned that it was based on a true story after, and that just made it even more hard hitting and punchy. Uh, so yeah, that, that that was just like the the final knockout blow at the end of the film. But yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I had no idea either that. Well, I I knew it was based on a true story. I didn't know that Roman Polanski was himself a Holocaust survivor. But I think those two facts uh, are both very important for for how it is able to deal with this very very serious and tragic subject matter in a way that isn't in a way that is sensitive and and um sort of appropriate because it's very easy to sort of dramatize it a bit and uh you know go a bit over the top with things lose sight of of the gravity of it and i don't think this film lost sight of the gravity of it at all yeah i only learned that afterwards that he's um he was a holocaust survivor i heard his his mother was actually a holocaust victim so he never saw her again after she was taken away on the train or whatever and yeah i think it is it's quite a personal film um to plant secret kind of as you say he doesn't um diminish the authenticity of the film because you know he lived through it and it's like a good record to that really um, but no, it certainly makes the, make the film a lot more visceral and kind of, yeah, heavy and authentic, as I say. Yeah, it's almost shot in like a documentary style. It's not like you say, Tristan, it's not like uh, overly dramatized. It's, it's almost just like he's capturing what, you know, what the as authentically as possible, what went on and what he will have experienced and what Spillman would have experienced. Because like I say that it's both it's, it's a it's, it is a true story. And I was watching a little bit of behind the scenes stuff just before. I hit record on this and I saw um, it, it, it was a scene and there were all these dead bodies on the floor and um, Polanski was going over and just subtly moving the bodies. And he had like a red pen and he was he was drawing like blood on the wall where, you know, the film was creating the set, basically. And it, it was just these tiny details. And it really like hit home like this guy did experience this and this this really was as horrible as he presents it. He, he, cause he, he knows better than anyone. Cause he was actually there. Yeah. I did want to talk a little bit about um, one other thing about Polanski, just before we like sort of get started on the film. And I, I only learned this about Polanski after watching some research, but he's actually a fugitive from the United States, you know, and he's been accused of some, um, not just accused, he's been charged of some numerous sexual assault crimes, including on like a 13 year old child. And, especially now we're living in sort of the Me Too era. Um, I just wanted to like touch briefly on what you guys think about separating artists from what they create. Obviously, this is a good film. It's incredible. It's won a lot of awards. It's, it's, it's critically very well received. But having the knowledge that the guy who directed it and the guy that was very involved in producing it is actually like a fugitive and has been charged with all these heinous crimes, does that affect how you see the film in any way or should we re should we separate art from the creator for me i would wouldn't let it um tarnish the film i wouldn't want that but it's very important that we do know that the creator um uh has been accused of this stuff so yeah i i try i try not to let it tarnish but um it's it's similar to the J.K. Rowling Harry Potter thing uh, for me uh, with all the um, you know transphobia stuff. Like I I the Harry Potter books are great pieces of art, but I think it's extremely important that everyone who reads Harry Potter um, knows the situation with the author. Uh, and so the same with this film. But yes, I I think 
I think it's impossible to separate the art from the artist in the same way that we say that it's important to understand that he was a Holocaust survivor and that that deeply informs the film itself. It's also important to be aware of, of these darker parts of, uh, of, of himself as a person. I think in some ways it's slightly different from the J.K. Rowling case in the sense that with J.K. Rowling, I found that it's pretty easy to see how her, what I would describe as her toxic views, have influenced her art. Whereas with this, uh, I mean, I didn't know about this going in, so maybe if I watched it again, I would feel differently. But I, I struggled to think of, of specific, um, specific instances with this film where I would say that it was influenced artistically by by his um, misdemeanors that you might call them but I think it's very important to be aware of it and to to engage with it in a way that is careful with that yeah I think it's it's an interesting I mean it's something that maybe you should know before watching it but I think it's up to the the individual watcher whether to try and separate it or not at the end of the day it's it's a brilliant piece of art and knowing that will probably only tarnish it so it's just whether you know how much you want to tarnish a piece of art really i don't know i don't know if that's the right way of saying it but yeah i think it's kind of up to the viewer to decide uh how much they want to attribute a fact like that to the film um but yeah it's certainly a it's a weird question of course it's a hard one but i just wanted to touch on those sort of two aspects of of uh what went, you know, the the uh, the background of the film? Looking at, I think they're like that's it's important to sort of talk about. But uh, without further ado, let's sort of start the film off. Let's let's go through the plot. So uh, Vladislav Spilman, Vladislav Spilman. I think I'm just going to refer to him as Spilman because I can actually say that. Um, he's playing the piano at the start of the film. He's recording in a studio when suddenly a bomb goes off outside as rubble and debris fall from the ceiling. Spilman continues to play as his recording engineer motions for him to stop. He continues to play as conditions worsen and he can no longer play anymore downstairs in the lobby spillman runs into a woman dorita dorita yeah we're going with that who tells him she came to uh, the studio to hear his playing later spillman arrives home to his family they tell him that they have to go out of warsaw since all able-bodied men must leave the city spillman says he isn't leaving the news reporter announces that the english have declared war on nazi germany and that france will join them soon poland poland is no longer alone the reporter says and spill the spillman family rejoices spillman's father raises a toast to the fact that all will be well and then cut the next scene uh, it says here the next day, but I, I didn't know if it was the next day or not. Um, the Spielman men watch as the Nazi forces march in. So this is sort of, this is how the film starts. This, this whole first part of the film, I think, really accurately captures how evil just slowly seeps into the world step by step by step. And we're going to see that sort of as the film goes on for like the first the third, I'd say. Just it's it's gradual step after step after step of things getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And worse. And the Spillman family continually keep drawing lines in the sand. They're like, there's one moment a little bit later on where, well, just here, just what I've mentioned here, that all the able-bodied men are, are told they must leave the city. And Spillman is defiant, of course, but that's just the first example of them. This this imposition of totalitarianism. And then a little bit later in the film, we have them being asked to wear the the, the bands on their arms, sort of demarking the the, the the Jewish people. And it's just step after step after step after step, slowly moving into just this evil world yes yeah i agree and i think not only does like the tyranny build very slowly um but while that happens simultaneously the people that are undergoing the tyranny also kind of become inured to it and like a, they become callous to it slowly not completely but like in the, 
towards, I think it's near that start, same bit at the start of the film, um, you can see there's like everybody's very negative because they've just been invaded. And uh, the brother at the dinner table, they try, the mother says, oh, don't say anything bad. And then he said, oh, OK, I'll tell you a joke. But it's a very like distasteful, harsh, black humour joke. And he doesn't realise, he's like oblivious to the fact that it is. But it is, and it just shows you that, you know, even their jokes are horrible and just everything about it. There's just no escape from it. It's just a horrible situation that they just get inured to. And it's hard, it's hard and sad to see that. Yeah, and I also think it's it's very important, actually, that this that this film kind of starts off... Uh, obviously, it starts off with terror and explosions and things, but it also starts off by showing us this idea of normality. And it's an idea, and, and this relates to what you're saying, that it's kind of inevitable that the normality will remain. It's so so powerful a sense of, of, of what's normal and what's right and what just happens. And so that's why people don't realise the, the evil is seeping in because they're so used to what's happened before that it's expected to carry on that way. So that's why we see all these scenes at the beginning in the big old living room and the dining table. And you think, well... These people, they, they're just people with jobs, a house, and it's normal. And it, it feels like, obviously very bad, but comparatively smaller things happening. And you think, well, that's an injustice. But also, it's, it's not fundamentally threatening a way of life until suddenly it is. Yeah, I remember um, like watching this part of the movie, and I hadn't seen it before. I didn't even watch the trailer. So I had no idea where the film was going to go plot-wise. But I had a historical knowledge of what happened to Jewish in Poland. And I remember watching this very early part of the film and this slow, this step by step happening um, in a bad direction and just like wanting to scream at the characters just to like get out, like get out now while you've got the chance. But it's like you say, Tristan, they've got this just assumption that the, 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 the power of normal life will remain. They had no idea of what was about to happen. Yes. yes. So, um, so the. Yeah, so the Nazis have marched into the city centre. The family discuss what they want to do with money since they certainly cannot trust the German banks. The scene shifts to Spielman and Dorita walking down the street talking. They arrive at a coffee shop, but a sign on the door tells them that the business does not allow Jews. She suggests they go to the park, but Spielman informs her that Jews are not allowed in the park. The scene shifts to Spielman's father reading the paper to his family, which states that Jews at a start wearing visible emblems when outside. And it applies to all Jews um, over 12 years old. The Spielmans discuss the fact that they do not want to wear the emblem and that that they do not want to wear the emblem and that they will refuse. Later, as Spielman's father walks down the street, two Nazis stop him and scold him for not bowing when he passes. One of them strikes him hard, knocking him to the ground and he continues walking. The Nazis then tell him to walk in the street instead of on the sidewalk. So very quickly here, we've seen um, just... Um, you know, them being non-physical acts of aggression, like them being told to wear the emblem, them not being able to use the banks. Um, but this is the first time when we see Spielman's father struck that we see direct physical force being used on Jewish people. And it's again, it's this slippery slope, you know, it's it's non-physical things. And then one day you're walking down the street and you do you just get punched and nobody's no, no, none of the other people on the street resist or even say anything. In fact, we see two ladies that are behind Spielman, like just pause and like cross the road. Like, I don't want anything to do with this. That's the worst part of it. The apathy, almost almost the worst part. Well, yeah, depends on your perspective. But uh, uh, yeah, that was that was horrible. Uh, seeing the. Um, you know the feeling of being alone 
in your suffering after you know the the feeling of not having any help that that's that really st- strikes a chord yeah definitely that's one of the hardest bits because you can see like the um, director who isn't jewish obviously you can see that all these things are wrong and you know complains about them obviously notices them for how bad they are but at the end of the day she doesn't help and nor really can she um because in the face of the nazis there's just not much you can do really um yeah no it's it's a very hopeless situation and that's what makes it so gripping and sad yeah i think that the hopeless that's a really interesting point because it feels hopeless in some ways and yet there's this pervading sense that that at least some of the characters have as we're seeing them there is a sense of hope and the fact that the hope is never really rewarded with positive change just more and more and worse negative change is is with it's like a, a fresh punch in the gut the fact that these these people believe that ultimately things aren't going to get so much worse and then every time they do get worse it's it's a dramatic escalation not being able to go into into the building because of the no Jew sign that's an escalation and that's shocking until you know you're seeing people being punched and that's even more shocking but people just sort of adapt and survive and that's what Spielman ends up doing yeah Yeah. it's like uh oh sorry John well it's a it's a theme um it's a theme of the film a, a sort of a lack of will to resist is so common in the film uh, uh the not maybe not not just the lack of will to resist from uh the jews um but the a lack of the ability to organize themselves to um resist because uh that was that was part that was just um discussed in a conversation later on in the film uh that that they they want to stand up to the nazis but they they just it's such a moment, monumentous task to coordinate and and organize any kind of resistance that uh you know it it it's just so much easier just to uh lie down and and uh, accept what the nazis give them so yeah well, that's, that's a really interesting point i think we'll be returning to that later this theme of resistance but in, especially with the the whole warsaw uprising which we'll be talking about is is quite a big deal. I'm not sure whether I agree that it's about a lack of resistance on the part of Jewish people, but I think we'll explore that further later on. Yeah, it's almost like there's this, um, going back to your first point, Tristan, that there's this feeling that with every escalation that this will be it. This is as worse as it'll get, you know. Now, all right, fine, we'll wear the emblems, you know, that'll be it. But then it's like, no, the next thing is, no, you can't go in this shop. And it's like, all right, okay, well, fine, I guess we can't go in the coffee shop anymore. And then it's like, oh, no, I guess we can't walk on the pavement. Like, there's this constant feeling that, I guess this is as bad as it'll get. It's going to last like this, and then it'll return to normal. And you really do to sort of refer to your point a little bit, John, like maybe that explains why there wasn't immediate rebellion because this feeling of, oh, it's only, you know, it's it's small steps and then the steps get bigger and bigger and more dramatic until we're at a place which is just a historical catastrophe. Mm, yeah. Even even myself as an audience watching the film, even I wasn't thinking when I saw 
each uh, escalation. Even I wasn't really thinking about how it was going to get worse. Uh, I maybe maybe that was just me, you know, uh, not being not being a critical thinker or anything. But maybe it was just the sort of the way the film was uh, made to play out. Um, you know, m- me, um, you know, feeling like I was a. Um, I, I don't know what I'm saying, but um, like uh, <laughs> I I was even I even it was so powerful is the sense that oh it's not going to get any worse that even I as an audience member didn't feel it was going to get any worse so yeah but then it did so yes so one night when Spielman is playing the piano uh, his sister brings him a newspaper article outlining that Jews are going to be placed in a ghetto in Warsaw as the Jews are moved to the ghetto Dorita comes to speak to Spielman and tells him that she's worried because the Nazis arrested Jurek it won't be long Spielman insists and he says his goodbyes again there's this feeling that it's only temporary Uh, Outside, workers are building a brick wall to separate the Jewish section of town from the rest of the city. They walk towards a crowd gathering, waiting to cross the street as a a Klejmar band plays nearby. A Nazi pulls some Jews out of the crowd and forces them to dance for him, a humiliating display. Suddenly the way is clear and the barriers go up so that the Jews can cross the street. So now we're seeing the imposition of like physical separation between quote-unquote you know, like normal society and the maligned Jewish community, the Nazis are implementing. And this is where things suddenly drastically become worse. When once they're moved into the ghetto, we suddenly see a rapid deterioration living standard and just the, 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 the horror that we see on the streets. This is where we start. It's once we're in the ghetto. I, I can't, maybe one of you guys can remember better than me, but is it as soon as we're in the ghetto that we start witnessing starving people on the street and dead people littering the ground? Or is, does that slow, is it instant or does that slowly happen as we are in the ghetto longer and longer? I think that was pretty instant. We we definitely saw uh, some really striking images of, of people lying on the ground straight away, I think. Yeah, for me, that was yeah. one of the most harrowing um, aspects of this of this movie, the dead bodies on the ground. That's like what one of the things that sticks in my head most when I when I when I think I thought I watched this movie like three days ago and it's just been in my head ever since. This is one of these movies, which is like this isn't one of those movies where you just sit down and you watch the movie and then you get on with your evening. This is like a, a, an experience and it stays with you for a long time. And it takes because it's such a brutal confrontation with what actually happened. And especially for me as a naive audience member going in, you know, I, I honestly thought watching the movie that like, I didn't know it was going to be a Holocaust movie. I knew it was about the Holocaust, but I I, I didn't know it was going to be entirely about the Holocaust. I was almost half expecting at one point Spielman to like get out of public. Maybe that was like an unconscious hope that I was projecting onto the movie, but it's just, uh, I can't remember my original point now, but it's just such a brutal confrontation with the horror of what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree in that the just the corpses, the images of corpses on the street and people stepping over. I think that builds. It starts pretty instantly, but it just builds and builds. And even almost like um, as as one of the Jews in the situation, you kind of become inured to the corpse after all. There's just more and more, and it's just like by the end of it, it's like okay, it's just another one. You kind of get inured yourself. I feel like, but no, that's one of the the first image of that was horrific, really horrific. It stays in my mind as well. Very powerful. So Spielman visits a friend who is a newspaper journalist and tells him that he wants to work against the Nazis. But his friends insists, you magicians, you, you, you musicians don't make good conspirators. You're too musical. Spielman tells him that the Nazis are cleansing the city of undesirables as a man named Majorek walks in. Spielman's friend tells him that he's distributing his newspaper around the city in order to start an uprising. As he's walking home, Spielman sees a boy climbing under the wall of the ghetto to get, at, to, get to the Jewish side. 
um, but getting beaten by a German in the process. He pulls the boy out, but the boy like dies in his arms. Mm-hmm. At dinner, Mrs. Spielman insists that the family not talk about anything bad, and Henrik tells the family that a surgeon they knew was commissioned to perform surgery inside the ghetto, but was shot along with his patient. That's the uh, joke you were talking about earlier, Owen. Uh, his father says that he blamed... Oh, this is quite an interesting part, really. His, um, Mr. Spielman, like the father, says that he blames everything on American Jews for not convincing the American government to declare war on Germany. And I think this is sort of a theme that we, we see touched upon a few times throughout the movie, is Jewish people blaming other Jewish people. And I'm thinking here of like the um, like the Jewish police force that were like collaborating with the Nazis. Like I felt when watching the movie, I felt angry at those um, like do you know the, the the people I'm talking about? They had like mm. nice, you know, nicely crafted white emblems on, on their arms. And I felt really angry at these people. Like you're betraying your own community. But then I felt, am I guilty for feeling that? Because they're Jewish people as well. They're persecuted as well. Like, is it right for me to feel angry? Shouldn't all my anger be directed at the Nazis? Do you know what I mean? It's a complex sort of moral thing I'm, I'm grappling with here. To what extent are were Jewish collaborators responsible and mr spielman's clearly feeling it here he's blaming american jews for not convincing the american government to declare war is this was this something that you guys were thinking about at all or grappling i wasn't i think i'll go on i think the the concept of like the the jewish kind of ss or guest is just horrific i mean you could see why they would do it because it's kind of you know if you can't beat them join them and uh in fact the main protagonist was offered a job in the police force but declined it which kind of shows it's like um it's a merit of his character and also i was thinking uh another merit of his character when he pulls out the boy from the the wall and he dies in his arms he, the boy's like i feel like he's kind of smuggling something he has bags with him but he doesn't um uh, spielman doesn't you know root through them or steal them or anything he just leaves it and just leaves it quietly the scene which is another testament to is he's a very likable character you really are on his side the whole film it's well done i like how he yelled at the guards to stop while he was pulling the boy out as well he was also he was yelling to the, them on the other side of the wall that was really good yeah but yeah it's yeah go on well, when it when it comes to the uh, the Jewish police force and collaborators in general, obviously there is a significant issue of self-preservation there. But they might tell you if you if you were to speak to them, they might tell you that actually what they were doing was morally good because if it wasn't them doing it, there wouldn't be a Jewish police force. There would just be a Nazi police force, and it would be more brutal and they might tell you that the effects of their actions meant that less people died, that they could save people, that they could be less brutal. This is exactly the same logic that was used by the people who were implemented as sort of puppet rulers for for the countries that the Nazis took over. They would say, well, we're actually, we're we're negotiating with the Nazis and we're, we're killing less people than it would be if, someone like Himmler was in charge instead of me. So that's their moral um, position that that was definitely expressed a lot. And we see that in the film as well, because, of course, Spielman would not have survived if it hadn't been for the fact that he was rescued by one of the uh, Jewish police. But it's also very clearly a betrayal as well, because... Ultimately, for every one person who they were able to save, we're talking about 20 or 50 or 100 people who they are 
complicitly allowing the murder of and if they instead tried to rise up against it then maybe things would be different or maybe they wouldn't it's a really difficult moral dilemma to grapple yeah this is possibly like the hardest topic ever to talk about that's why it's quite hard just like I'm, I'm putting a lot more effort in composing my thoughts about this film than any of the other films we've done in the past because this is just the hardest topic ever to, to talk about it's so contentious and it's so complex and it's so dark and it's so brutal but I mean, when we when we're thinking about collaborators, I have heard that in in terms of like how the Holocaust was implemented, it relied very heavily on um, on people who were recruited from the Jewish community and put in sort of positions of of authority and responsibility, and that that without these sort of thousands of people who were participating in in the system, it would have been a lot harder for the Nazis to have you know gone about their like plan basically so that's why it's so complex and especially i want to talk a little bit more as we go on about this one particular um jewish policeman who was sort of led to feel kind of like he's a bad guy but then when we actually look at his actions in terms of saving spielman in terms of um he, you know in a, in a briefly we're going to see how he how he lets his brother go his actions are actually quite good considering the horror of the situation he's in it's just so complex um, does anyone else have anything to say before I go on a little bit with the plot? Nope. Well, just that um, it's very telling about the how the Nazis um, they it's like they used a divide and conquer kind of technique, like uh, with getting turning uh, Polish Jewish people against American Jewish people. Maybe that was maybe that was actually uh, a political belief that uh, the Nazis may have tried to manipulate Polish Jews into believing. Uh, who knows? But yes. Anyway, yes, just my... And I'm not uh, like a Holocaust scholar either, so I don't... It'd be interesting to look at the extent to which Jewish um, people in the US campaigned for the, for, the, for the US to enter the war. I don't know anything about that, but it'd be interesting to look in. Mm -hmm. um, so suddenly, uh, the family hears a car outside and the Spielmans turn off their lights. They look across the streets as Nazis go into the, adjacent, into the adjacent building and conduct a raid. They watch a group of Nazis force a family of Jews to stand up in, a par in an apartment across the street. When an older gentleman cannot stand, the Nazis pick up his wheelchair and throw him out the window. A group of Jews are led into the street outside and the Nazis tell them to run. As they run away, the Nazis shoot them. That's, a, this, that's yeah. another... Absolutely. When he throws that guy out the window... Uh, and we see Mrs. Spielman scream, and it was just like I felt that scream. I kind of wanted to scream because I knew that, that when the when the guy couldn't stand, I almost knew that they were going to do something monstrous like that. And then the guy is like, it's just and the 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 way that the German officers are just like do it, just like unquestionably, it's like they it's like they knew. Oh yeah, this is what we do. We just throw disabled people out of windows. It's Jesus Christ. It's brutal. We don't see him hit the we don't see him hit the pavement, but we we see a shot of him after he's hit it, and we just see his body in the chair, and it's just like. And then we have to deal with seeing um the the poor people run away, getting shot at like like the. Well, we know the Nazis saw them as like animals. They like fully dehumanized them. But this scene in particular is just very harrowing. Yeah, I think I found that the most shocking scene in the whole film. Not necessarily because it was the worst. I mean, it was pretty much the worst in terms of what they were doing. But they did similar things afterwards a lot. But um, it, it was an absolutely shocking moment, especially to see that man falling out the window, well, not falling out the window at all, um, being being thrown out the window. And, and as you say, it was so 
matter of fact, not just that they threw him out the window, but the whole subsequent allowing of, of people to run away and then to shoot them. It was entirely redundant to, to make them come outside at all, but they did it anyway because I suppose it's more fun that way. It's more threatening. It's, it's more unpredictable. It's horrifying. Yeah, you're right. They could have just gone in and shot them all just at the table because that was what happened anyway, but they don't. They, they play it to sport, and that's what makes it so evil that it wasn't just, I mean, just extermin like genocide in itself is like bad enough. I think that goes without saying, but like to play games and, and, and to turn it into a sport is just like that's the next level of evil that we would that we're witnessing in this yeah i also think like the the cinematography in this scene in particular the way the camera you're with the the spielman family looking out their window with them and then like you'd see their reactions to to the left as soon as this stuff happens it makes it feel you know you you feel like a bystander just like one of them and just as hopeless as one of them and yeah that that i think that scene with the wheelchair guy yeah that's certainly I think I had tears in my eyes for that one. That was certainly one of the most powerful, um, harrowing moments of the of the film. And yeah, as you say, the 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 display of evil when they just make them run away, and and one even one of the family who gets eventually gets shot gets torturously close to scaling the wall, but gets seen at the very last second. It's just yeah, horrible. Is is it the first death that we see in the film? Oh, that's a good question. It well, might it's, be actually. Yeah, it might well, be. First yeah. Murder, yeah, maybe yeah. that's why. That because that's a big part of it. Yeah, it's a it's a milestone. It's one of the film's many milestones. Yeah, yeah. I think that'd be right. And without wanting to sound um, too glib, and I understand why it was done for <clears throat> sort of the sake of the film, but Spielman does have a number of apartments. You know, seem to have a good view over what happened historically in Warsaw in terms of like yeah. the, the uprising and everything. It's a good it's a good filmmaking technique though because when when we see and I'm thinking of the the, the there's two different uprisings, isn't there? There's the ghetto uprising and then there's the Warsaw uprising in like 1944. And he's got like very good yeah. views of both of them. But when it's shot, it's just like, it's almost like CCTV footage. It's just like one very wide shot from the same angle. And it's a, um, it feeds into this idea that we're seeing it from Spielman's perspective. It was a good film, filmographic technique, cinema, cinema, mm. cinematographic technique. I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not so unlikely that, that he would have seen the second uprising because that was very large scale. So I think that's, that's part of it. But yeah, it's, it's very much his perspective and that's that's very effective so spielman is playing um the piano at the restaurant he's working when his sister runs in to tell him something she tells him that um the nazis have taken his brother spielman goes out into the streets and sees heller the jewish policeman this is the guy we were talking about earlier he's called heller he asks heller if he's seen henrik but heller tells him he hasn't can you help us spielman says but heller says it will cost him money he begs heller to help him but heller ignores him at this point we're like heller is a bad guy um he then sees a man um, this part of the movie, I remember this as well. He sees um, there's this like old woman and she's carrying this like little bit of food. And we see this this man come over and she starts screaming, snatch her, snatch her, snatch her. He starts trying to pull the food from her and he does. And it goes all over the ground, all over the dirt. And he just, I, at this point, I was like, oh, great. You've ruined it for everyone now. But he just goes down and he starts shoving it in his mouth. And he's it, the ground is filthy. He's like pulling the dirt into his mouth as well. And it's just this. That's what happens during um this film captures hunger very well it captures the starvation that was happening there's a few moments in the we it's a big part of the film how hungry people are and this this is the one moment which really captures what starvation does to people it will it'll make you 
on your hands and knees in the dirt, just putting whatever you can in your mouth and stealing from old woman, old women, you know, I'm sure that snatcher, you know, a few years ago would have just been like, it could have been anyone. That's the point of the movie. It could have been absolutely anyone, but now this is what he's become. Yeah. And the fact that nobody uh, was like, she was obviously screaming for help. The woman who got robbed off and everyone just like looking with blank faces, just staring. Nobody intended to help at all. They were just, in fact, I think some looked and then looked away. It's just obviously something they've seen before. And it's nothing new. It just shows how they've come inured to it. Yeah, it really is the ultimate dehumanisation. I think that is the most dehumanising thing in the whole film, is that this person... It's its like they've become an animal, of course. That's, that's not really what's happened, but it's almost like... Well, it's not a vindication, that would be the wrong word, but it, 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 it sort of reflects how the Nazis viewed... Jews in the first place as sort of animals who would do things like this voluntarily. So I suppose it wouldn't come as a surprise to them. But um, it's it's just horrible to see a human being having to do that. I suppose it's a good example of how like dehumanization, like the genocide and dehumanization that in history, it's kind of creates this self-fulfilling cycle because you persecute a community to such an extent, you know, you starve them, you treat them brutally and you you rob them of everything that that kind of makes them human and then they do they're forced to behave in ways like this just to survive and then you know if you're a nazi officer looking on then this conform conforms to all your prejudices it's like oh yeah of course they're animals of course they're not humans look at how they behave but the reality is it's like no you've created this yourself mm-hmm. um so suddenly um spielman sees henrik get pushed out of the jail um and hella just hella lets him go doesn't he hella hella grabs the brother and gives him to Spielman. Is that right? Am I remembering? Yeah, that? I believe so. so yeah, so Henrik so. is like, although Heller was wanting money earlier, he does kind of is like he agrees to to free Henrik. So he's kind of a good guy in that respect. Um, Henrik scolds Spielman for asking Heller to help. Henrik is like does not like Heller at all. He sees him as a collaborator. He's got a very negative view of him. I think he refers to him as a cockroach. Um, as Henrik eats some soup at a nearby kitchen, he tells his brother that the Nazis are planning to send them all to labor camps and closing the small ghetto. Spielman runs into his journalist friend and Meyerick. It tells them that he's trying to get a certificate of employment for his father. He thinks getting the certificate is going to keep his father in the ghetto and prevent him getting sent to a labor camp. Um, he does. He manages to get the certificate. And then we see the Spielmans working at a clothier, sewing late into the night. At least we are still together, says, says Spielman's father, when suddenly a Nazi bursts into the room and tells them to go out into the yard. Outside, the Nazis select Henrik and Helena from a lineup and tell the rest of the group to collect their things and report back there. When a woman asks what is going on, the Nazi shoots her in the head. Spielman and his family are brought in lines to wait to be sent to the labour camps. They see a woman sobbing nearby and Spielman goes to find food. A man speaks to Spielman's father about the fact that they're go- going to get sent to the death. Suddenly, Miss Spielman spots Helena and Henrik as they come running towards the family, clearly having left where they were to be with the family stupid stupid spielman mutters um to himself so i'll just stop there because i've covered quite a lot there but like we 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 see here that like spielman thinks that just getting the certificate is going to be enough to save his father he's got no idea what's coming and i think we even see him sort of apologize to his father later on because he, he, he really thought that he was going to be able to save him but alas mm. not and the person who signs the certificate for him immediately, well, whilst handing it over, says, oh, it's not going to help you anyway, but there you go, or something to that effect. As, you know, it's just a bit of foreshadowing there, and obviously who gave it, the person who gave it knew that it wasn't going to do anything. Yeah, we didn't know yeah. what was exactly... Oh, sorry, sorry, Tristan. No, no, you carry on. 
I was going to say when then when they when they were all brought outside. This was a moment in the film where just of dread, not knowing what was going to be happening, knowing that this is how they you know they do line people. Every time I saw people in lines in this movie. I've got dread because that's how they execute people. They line you up and then they shoot you in the head. And so every time I saw Jewish people assembled in lines in this movie, I was like, oh, please, please not like don't like don't let them execute them, basically. And especially when he when he grabs Henrik and Helena and pulls them from the crowd. And we've got no idea why I was certain they were going to get shot, but they didn't. In fact, a wor- kind of a worse thing happened. We had no idea what was going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think it sort of transpires having you know reading through these notes and looking back were they pulled from the line because they wanted to keep them um in the ghetto i think that's what's happening isn't it they because they, they they send a lot of them off in the trains but they keep a small number of them behind to work on as laborers so is that sort of what um is that what why they were pulling them out of the lines i think they they looked and they they saw henrik and helena as like healthy fit people so they they pulled them out actually to save them and to send everyone else off to their death yeah i think so and then eventually they escaped anyway and uh, made their way back to like the, the train yard. Um, I was just thinking, it's like, it like another example of the matter-of-fact evil violence when that Nazi officer just shoots the woman in the head point-blank range in front of everyone just for asking a question like, where are we being taken to or something like that. It just shows, again, it's just so callous and immoral. And also, um, the next bit, when they're in waiting for the train, the, that whole story with the crying woman, because she cries for like a good you know, five minutes in the film, and you, the viewer, also gets annoyed, as the Spielman family do, um, because the story isn't revealed of why she's crying. And when that's revealed, it's one of the most horrific stories of the film. And, yeah, no, it's just horrible. Yeah, I was like you, Owen. I was, I, I'll just, I'll read a bit further in the plot, because that's exactly what happens next. So, a woman nearby keeps saying, what did I do? Why did I do it? Why did I do it? And sobbing, which leads Helena to ask a man nearby what is wrong with her. Uh, she and he explains she she smothered her baby while they were hiding. A little boy walks around selling caramels, and Spielman's father pulls together the family's last twenty zlots zlots to buy zlots. one. He could, zlot zlot is what is? It? I think I think that's it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, puts mm-hmm. puts together the last twenty twenty zlot twenty pounds twenty dollars <laughs> <laughs> to buy one. He cuts the caramel into tiny pieces. His family as they get brought to the trucks, hellish spots Spielman and pulls him out of the throng. This is it when they're getting loaded into those trains. Um, and Hella pulls him out and tells him to run. He calls to his family and waves to them. He's trying to get back to them, but Hella goes over and like just tells him to get out of there. He tells him he saved his life. The scene abruptly shifts to Spillman walking through the streets alone, sobbing. Um, and we see just the ghetto in like absolute. Risk. He uh, goes. To, that's I remember that scene as well. Him just walking down that road with all the everything broken behind him, and he's just weeping. It's just like he's so close to his family, you know. And now he's just suddenly like alone he doesn't have anyone who's there's big family unit and now it's just one guy and he goes to the cafe where he played the piano which has been destroyed and he meets the guy he used to work for hiding under the stage so this is sort of the a big moment in the film where he just gets you know they're getting loaded on their trains and they don't fully understand where they're going they think they're going to a labor camp it turns out they're not they're going to um treblinka 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 it's like a german execution camp and i'd, I'd I did a little bit of reading about Treblinka and the estimates are that up to 900,000 people were executed. It was an extermination camp as well. It wasn't like Auschwitz um, where there were some laborers. Like the whole point of Treblinka was just to like exterminate as many people as possible. And like, it's just brutal, man. It's really brutal. Mm, absolutely. I quite like the bit where they get their, their last caramel on the boy because the boy's selling them for a ridiculous price. And um, the father says, oh, what are you going to do with the money? Like, what's the point? And then he realizes, what what is he going to do with the money? So he gives the money anyway. And then they kind of just sit there. Uh, and I think, 
you know as the viewer and i think they kind of do as well that it's you know the last like sweet treat the last caramel they'll ever have and it's just yeah it's quite a morose morose tone yeah it's it's really it's really dark as a sort of it is a last meal it's it's as well as a last caramel and mm. it's it's remarkable how this sort of the fact that it's a caramel which is this this joyful thing usually this big and joyful thing has become it's both it's 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 really tragic thing it's a perversion and it's being split up into way too many pieces um in comparison to what you would expect really and um it is it is a, a perversion but it's also uh, an act of, of sharing and it's it's kind of quite powerful there that they're all that they're all sharing that even though it's so meager it's very upsetting what, what there is a lot of in the film is a lot of families helping each other but very very little people who aren't family helping the people they don't know there's there's no there's almost no charitable helping of strangers. In fact, there's the opposite. There's um, uh, you know, the the the, the stealing of from strangers uh, a lot in the film. And it's like it, it, it's almost as if the film is saying we need to. Uh, well, this this is this is getting a bit outside of the 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 film. But it's almost as if it's saying it, it's important to help more than just the people you're close to. You've got to help the strangers as as well. Uh, in order to save the community, but yes. Well, I, I don't know whether I fully agree. I think we see both. I think there's a bit of a dichotomy there because often people do fail to help each other and that is something that the film highlights a lot. But also you do see people trying to help each other. You see Spielman trying to save this child. You see his his old boss. I, I know that this doesn't count as a stranger, but even so, his old boss sort of rescuing him in in bringing him into his cubby hole when he doesn't have to do that. And later on, we're seeing all of these people who are resisting and who are helping people to to hide in their homes and so on. I think mm-hmm. both both acts of of charity and acts of selfishness are both really ever present throughout the film and that's what makes it difficult is that is that both are understandable because it's it's really hard to 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 commit an act of charity especially when you you can't affect things very much and you don't have very much to begin with and you're just desperately trying to survive Yeah, I think it can be both it can do both can't it be in those circumstances it can it can induce extraordinary indifference when you're walking past dead bodies every day you just you know you become numb to suffering but it can also function to strengthen ties as well like that the family become very close they were close before but they their closeness is not diminished in any way by the horror of what's going on they remain that's quite an, an endearing thing i suppose they they're not we never see the family what we see them you know disputes and little conflicts but we never see any massive fallouts um for me one of the the most uh, seeing them get on the train was hard like i find those i've done a little bit of reading about the holocaust train system and how it worked and the, just the the horror of it like they, they they've got no windows you know they're just they're, they're, they're stuffed they're, they're stuffed on like animals you know and they're taking all their stuff from them as they're getting on mr spielman gets his his violin taken from him just before he's, he's put on 
And some of those trains in the winter, when it was cold, like if you were on the outside of the train, you you would die of the cold. You'd be so, it was only the people who was like compressed in the middle, surrounded by, that would survive. Because all the people on the outside of the carriage would, it would get so cold that they'd die. And there were some trains, um, and these trains carried thousands of people um, to to labor camps and extermination camps but there were some trains where 90 percent of the people on them died so you can just imagine getting like arriving at a camp and opening the doors and only 10 percent of the people who were stuffed on there are actually still alive and it's just that kind of thing is it's one of those facts about the holocaust which really stays with me just the the animalistic treatment of beings you know treating them like um you know and animals to the slaughter yeah, this is a slight tangent, but once um, I went to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., and there's a part of that where you can walk through one of the train carriages, the original ones, and it was just so sickening, like hearing, seeing the signs of it, they're not very big, and hearing like there's 100 to 200 people stuffed in one of these things. Just walking through that, I almost threw up. And, like, it's probably a placebo effect. I don't know if there really was a stench of death in it or an aura of death, but I certainly felt something that, no, it's, uh, it's horrific. Yes, on a, on a similar tangent, I went to Auschwitz once and that was quite remarkably horrible it's it's quite overwhelming how it was just these tall buildings really and that's that's quite remarkable it it was a bit like the ghetto that we see in the film actually but um a bit more stark I think but on that note I think it's also of, of interest that in this film we don't see the 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 camp that they ultimately go to i think actually it's it's important in in a few ways but one of them is that when a lot of people think of the holocaust i think they think of the camps specifically and um and and the systematic extermination which was of course particularly awful and horrible um but it's actually much bigger and broader and more confusing of a historical event than just that. And so I think it's, it's, it's good that this film, it's showing us the train, it's showing us the ghetto, it's showing us the destroyed cities. These are all the Holocaust. It's not just about the camps. And uh, it's, it's not something that sort of makes a kind of sense that you can grapple with. So I think that sense of confusion really comes through very effectively. Yeah, I think the ambiguity is quite good in that because throughout the film, like um, the the talks amongst the Jews themselves, it's all based on rumours, like where their fate. It's all they don't know they're going. I mean, they probably have a good idea by the end where they're going, um, but they don't know at the start, and it's all based on conjecture, rumours. So it's all uncertain, and the fact that um, the film doesn't show these things and the film doesn't give shed any more light on a situation than they know and it keeps keeps you in the dark like like they were really as the viewer yeah i think that's a really good point that sort of you both sort of touched on there that we this is the last time we see the family and we never get confirmation of their fate we never know i mean we i had to pause the film like towards the end because i wanted to know what happened to his family and like of course none of them survived they were like sent to extermination camps but that's not like addressed by the film it's it's like it's just left to us to 
to infer what happened. And that's kind of feeds into the horror of it almost. I talked, I've talked about this in, in some of the previous films we've talked about, in some of the horror films. Like it's a technique of horror film to not show you the worst aspects of something because it leaves it to your imagination and your imagination produces something which is often worse than the reality. And that's something kind of does. It's We don't see them go, go, arrive at Treblinka. We don't see what happens at the extermination camp, but we can imagine. And that it's like, that's a terrifying thing to contemplate. Um, so Spielman has he's avoided the train. He's like one of the very few people uh, left in the ghetto, um, and he gets like sort of in, uh, enlisted into this uh, small labor force, which is working around um, a Warsaw. Um, and he go he manages to leave the ghetto for the first time in two years uh, with a large group of men in the city. Spielman walks. Spielman, Spielman works taking down the wall around the ghetto. While working, he spots a singer and an actor he knows. He wants to talk to them, but another worker warns that non-Jews are hanged for helping. The Nazis line up Spielman and other Jewish workers and pull some of them out of the group, telling those workers to lie down. He then shoots each one of them in the head. Later, as he is working, Spielman notices that Mayorek is working there. After Mayorek whistles at him, he tells him that the trains always return empty and no food is getting sent to the camp. They're exterminating, he says. They're exterminating us, he says. It won't take them long. We're only 60,000 left out of half a million. Um, in the middle of his work, the workers are rounded up by the Nazis in the rain to be counted. The Nazi officer tells them that he has good news. They will no longer be treating the workers so cruelly and that one Jew of the group will be allowed to go into the town daily. As the winter sets in, Mayorek and Spielman begin work carrying potatoes back for the workers. They smuggle guns in during the process, which they keep hidden from the Nazi officers while they sort the potatoes. Um, while they march alongside the wall, one night Spielman throws a gun over to the other side to the resistance fighters. I'm not too far. I'll, ju oh, I'll just finish this this little bit off. One night in the sleeping quarters, Spielman asks Majorek to help him get out into... Spielman tells him that he plans to go live with Janina and Andre... He tells him he wants to go and live with a singer and actor he saw while working on the outside of the ghetto last summer. Uh, Majorek tells Spielman that his friends no longer live at the address, but he can find out where they are. Uh, a Nazi guard walks down the line and whips the Jewish soldiers, saying it's his way of celebrating New Year's Eve. Um, yeah, Majorek shakes Spielman's hand as he prepares to escape. He wanders out of the gate without struggle and finds himself alone. In the that night, he convenes with Janina and follows her into her apartment building. Weeping, she embraces him and welcomes him into the apartment. Inside, he greets the husband, who tells him they do not have much time. So he, yeah, he's sort of been drafted into this small labor force, uh, which the Nazis have chose to keep behind in the city. And he helps a little bit with the resistance, smuggling some weapons in. But eventually he decides he, he's going to risk getting out. You know, Mayorek expresses to him that there's actually he says it's easy getting out. The, the, the challenge is to stay alive once you're out, which is a very interesting line. Um, what did you guys think about this whole part of the movie where he's, he's part of this small labor force that's left behind in Warsaw? I think it was really interesting when you have this Nazi who actually... Um, who tells them that they're going to be able to, to have slightly less harsh conditions. This Nazi genuinely believes that this is a, a significant act of charity on the part of, of himself and, and his other fellow Nazis. And he says, this is good for you and you can even, you can even sell the bread that you don't eat because Jews are good at business, right? And I, I think that was really interesting because it was it was possibly the only time in the film where we really interrogate the Nazi outlook. And the Nazi outlook is that they genuinely have these really bizarre and twisted ideas about Jewish people. But also, they kind of think they're doing the right thing, I, I, in a way, in a, in, a, in a horrible, twisted way. And that's what this Nazi thing, obviously, 
it's difficult to see how this man reconciles the idea that allowing these people to sell some bread is an act of charity that can go hand in hand with murdering thousands and thousands of people. But it's it's clear that, that that's something that he believes, and that's kind of remarkable. Mm, yes. This part of the movie, we see like a very sudden deterioration in... Um... Well, I was going to, yeah, I'll make one point and then I'll make another, which is connected. But we see him suddenly, he's not, he's dressed like in very different clothes. He's dressed in the laborer's clothes. I remember noticing that when I was watching the film, the stark contrast between, even when they're getting loaded onto the train, um, you know, obviously they've been living in very brutal living conditions, but they still are dressed quite nicely. They've still managed to hold on to some quite nice middle-class clothes. Um, but then we jump, I think there's a brief time jump ahead, at least it feels like it, maybe a few weeks or a few months, and he's dressed very, very differently. He's dressed like a labourer now. He's, he's um, His hair is longer. He looks dishevelled and he looks tired. There's this very dramatical, dramatic change in, in physical appearance. And that also links into my um, my second point, which is that I noticed a very... Um, distinct change in the colour palette of the movie. It gets suddenly. I think it reflects the seasonal change as well. We're going into winter now, but it also reflects the tonal uh, movement of the of the film. Uh, things are getting a lot darker, a lot less colour, more black and white. And I, I I remember this film as well, really feeling the winter as well. Because um, I remember watching this one particular bit, and I I was thinking to myself. How can he get out? Is there any like could, could he just escape? Like I was plotting in my head, like what if he just like ran into the countryside? Like could, like how can he escape this? What method is there for him to exit this scenario? And when I thought about that, I felt claustrophobic because there was no escape. You know, it's winter and he's in Poland. Like even if you could escape this, the 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 confines of the city, there's a whole war machine you know, operating around you. There's the the the, the environmental challenges of the season. It's just like I remember feeling so trapped, just like he would have felt. And if we just go back a little bit to the um that scene where uh the guard like lines them up and then just puts them on the ground and shoots them all. I think the there's that horrible the last person he has to refill his clip and it's just like this horrible silence of this guy waiting to die having seen like 10 or whatever of his mates i was hearing the gunshots and he just has to wait the extra five seconds while this guy calmly reloads his luger or whatever gun it was and um, eventually gets around to killing him as well it's just another example of the horrific nazi violence that's kind of burned into my brain one of those scenes <laughs> that's burned into my brain from this film yeah, that was like a twist on what we saw in Schindler's List. I don't know if you guys have, have seen that movie, but there's a scene in Schindler's List where um, a Jewish person is put on his knees and is, is to be executed. And the guy's, um, I think it's like a Walther or, or the, his, his firearm jams. He's going, he's pointing the gun at this poor guy's head and it's going click, click. And uh, have you seen have you seen the scene? It's a really um, like well put together scene the, the guy's pointing the gun and it's going click click and he, he he reloads the gun he recocks it he's doing everything and he's just like why won't this work and he calls his friend over to have a look at it his friend's like oh and eventually he just lets the guy go he's like oh just go go he, he lets him off but, and this was like a twist on that i thought when his gun ran out of bullets i was like oh like phew what a relief he's been spared but of course no it's not it's just like reload that thing bang yeah go on well, yeah, I mean, th there was that moment, and I think it's really interesting that this this man who's about to be shot, he doesn't try and run or anything. And I, I'm wondering whether there's this sort of doubt about what's going to happen. You know, is he actually going to be spared or not? 
And of course, he then realizes that he's not, and he just sort of accepts it. And and that's really quite harrowing too. Yeah, that reminds mm. me of a line. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, no, I was just gonna say, I feel like at that point, um, like the people that had to be murdered, they're just so resigned to the fact because I'm sure in some way it's almost a relief. They're just, you know, the end to such a horrible existence. Obviously, you know, um, yeah, it's just the fact that they're so resigned to it and just ex- not, ex- you know, accepting of the fact, um, even though it's horrendous, it's just, yeah, quite pitiful. Yeah. Whenever I see these kind of um, shots in movies where they line people up to like firing squad scenes to to execute people, I always think, what would I do? Because I I imagine myself like you do automatically when you're watching movies, you feel empathy for characters. And I sort of imagine myself kind of lying on the ground and hearing people like getting shot one by one next to me and knowing that I was next. Like, and would you 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 may as well run because you you know you're going to die. You may as well like try but then there's also like an element of accepting your fate. I mean, you could run, but you're not going to get away. You might as well just kind of, ex- I don't know. It's just a really difficult thing to think about. And it, I, I experience the same thing every time I watch a firing shot scene. I think like, what would, what would I do? Would I, how, how would I behave in such? Um, and, and talking about all this, it reminds me of a line I heard in another movie. I can't remember what the movie was. And I, I don't know how based on fact this line is, but it was, a, I think it was another war movie. And a guy was, talking about how he would make um he would make prisoners of war dig their own graves and then execute them and they would fall into the grave which they dug and he said that um when you ask prisoners of war to dig their own grave they try really hard they really want to make the grave as as impressive as possible they want to dig the best grave because there's almost this feeling that oh yeah if they dig a good grave they'll be spared it's like there's one last desperate bit of hope in every man's like head that like oh maybe if i do something i'll be able to fix this but of course it never it never happens as one more example of uh like what desperation does to people. um but yeah we we see him sort of arrive at, at these people who are working for the polish underground that are willing to like put him up i remember him getting to the house and uh being like please 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 like let him in please 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 be friendly um but over a meal andre tells spielman that he'll be looked after on the other side of town he leads him to a hidden quarter where he will be sleeping the night. And it's this small fireplace in a storeroom. He tells Spillman that he has to sleep there that evening, but it, that he will be moved to his own flat uh, the next day. They safely make it to the flat. Uh, Merrick, that's the name of the guy who's looking after him. Merrick um, shows him some food in the flat and tells him that Janine will be bringing him food twice a week. Before he leaves, he gives Spillman a paper with, address, with an address on it to go in case of a major emergency. Time shifts forward and more fighting seems to take place outside. Spillman watches from his window as men shoot at one another and bombs go off. This is like the, the, the uprising that we're witnessing. One day he sees a bomb goes off, which knocks down the wall to the ghetto. Afterwards, there is a great fire which Spillman watches from his apartment. Uh, so that's sort of the, um, the uprising happening. Uh, later... Um, his name, the guy who's looking after him comes to the apartment and tells him that he has to leave as the Gestapo have found their weapons. They've arrested Nina and Andre, he tells him, and urges Spielman to make a run for it. Um, Spielman decides to wait out the conflict in his flat, but when he hears German soldiers in the hall, he goes nervous and prepares to jump out the window. One night, Spielman lies in his bed listening to his neighbours play the piano. He gets up and goes to the kitchen trying to get something from his shelf to eat, but accidentally breaks the shelf, causing a stack of plates to fall to the ground with a smash. His neighbour, who's been playing the piano, comes over and knocks furiously on the door, demanding that he open up before she calls the police. Spielman collects his things and prepares to leave the flat, but when he comes out of his door, the woman next door is waiting for him. Have you got your identity card? She asks him and suddenly begins yelling at him, calling him a Jew. Spielman manages to escape, running out into the snowy night. He pulls the address um, that was given to him out of his shoe and he makes his way there. 
when he arrives at the address, which is actually Dor- Dorita's address, his old friend, uh, they went on like that date before. Uh, she is shocked to see him and invites him in. She's pregnant. Um, so, yeah, we're sort of seeing him here make his own way. He's managed to get out the ghetto now and he's faced with an entirely new set of problems now, which we're going to be exploring like for the next segment of the film. Um, mm. Yeah, I felt yeah, such I relief thought... when he was out. Oh, sorry, Owen. I just think that scene when he uh, when he drops the plates, neighbor essentially almost gets him killed. It's it's incredible that you know just dropping some plates is a matter of life and death, and you could literally just he could have died from. Um, and it's just crazy that his neighbor is so maybe not brainwashed isn't the right word, but so used to the Nazi regime that he's absolutely willing to just basically kill this man or get this man killed just because he dropped some plates. It's quite weird. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I basically, people like that woman, that's why the Nazis were able to keep their iron grip. Because if there hadn't been anyone in that building who was so deeply prejudiced, it wouldn't have mattered whether he'd dropped plates or whether he'd had the door unlocked or anything. And if that had been replicated across the city, across the country, then basically things would have been okay because the Nazis didn't have enough individual military people to keep everyone subdued but it was the collaboration with them that that enabled it to 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 happen and that caused this absolute misery and this woman is probably the biggest villain of the whole film she doesn't need to do anything she's not employed by the nazis she's she's not threatened by the nazis she could just turn a blind eye and it wouldn't even be an act of resistance. It would just be carrying on. But she's instead deeply evil Nazi lady. And there were lots <laughs> of deeply evil Nazi people. And that was basically the problem. And it's so tragic. Mm. Uh, but in the same way that we feel that um, that anger towards that lady, I felt such warmth towards all the like resistance people, all these people who were like going out of their way and... I felt each one of them was such like a, a, a precious character, if that makes sense. Like, because they're putting, they're surrounded by all this death and all this persecution and all, millions of people being sent to their death. But they're going out their way and risking torture and death to save just one person. And it's often, they don't, some of these characters have have a history with, well, Dorita like knows uh, Spielman, but a lot of them have no idea who he is, no idea what his history is, no idea what he's like as a person, but they just know that they've got to do as much as they can to keep one person alive. And I thought that was really like a really beautiful thing. Absolutely. And I, I feel like the, again, going back to the, the evil Nazi lady, it's kind of testament to how absolute the, the Nazi influence had become by that time. Like There she is, just a civilian spouting Nazi vernacular, asking for identity papers and stuff and threatening to getting killed. And it's just, as you say, she didn't have to do that. It's She went out of her way to do that, just to propagate the Nazi you know, ideology. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's very scary and a big contrast to the people that are trying to save him. There's a few moments in this film where he runs into a new character and we there's uh, we don't know how it's going to go. Sometimes it goes terribly, like in the case of this, runs into and he starts screaming Jew, Jew at him. But some there's other moments where it's like a relief and it's like, oh, phew, like he's he's a lot like when he arrives at dorita's place and he and dorita is very warm to him and welcomes him welcomes him in but then the husband arrives and i was like 
oh no, how's the husband going to take this? I was really scared that the husband was going to be like, get him the hell out of here. But fortunately, it went the other way. And it's like, oh no, he's like one of the good guys. Mm-hmm. So um, later, um, Dorota's husband shows Spillman his new apartment, which has a piano. Before he leaves, the husband tells him that the flat is in a very German area. There's a hospital across the street. And he tells Spillman it's the safest place to be. One day... Um, the husband and a man named Antek bring him some food. Michael tells the husband, Michael tells Spielman that Antek will be looking after him and that he's with the underground. Um, Antek tells Spielman that they have met before, that he was a technician for Warsaw radio. The scene shifts and we see Spielman now bearded making beans in his apartment from that, um, like that rotten potato thing. Um, When Antek enters with some sausage and bread, he pours some vodka for both of them as Spillman tells him that he thinks he has jaundice. Spillman asks Antek why he hasn't come sooner since it's been over two years last visit. Antek tells him that he um, he needs to raise money to buy food, which isn't easy. Spillman takes off the watch he's wearing and gives it um, to Antek to sell. Um, Dorota and Michael come to visit Spillman, finding him very ill in bed with jaundice. This bit is like... Uh, he does. He acts it very well, doesn't he? He plays a very convincing guy with like. I don't really know what jaundice is, but like I assume it, it looks like what he did. It was very believable what he was doing. Basically, he's like in bed, like all sweaty, like and kind of delirious. Dorota puts a hot towel over Spillman's forehead and tells him that they are going to stay with her mother where it's safer. She then tells him that Antek has been pocketing the money. Um, he's he's been pocketing the money that he should have been spending on food. Uh, a doctor comes to visit Spillman and says that he will live. He says he'll try and get him some medicine. Uh, we jump forward a little bit. Spillman is recovered and moving around the apartment now when he looks out and he, shoots, he sees a shootout on the street. It's the beginning of the 1944 Warsaw Uprising. Uh, when the water stops working in his building and the Germans surround, um, surround him, Spillman must flee to the streets, but he finds that he's locked in it with flat. He looks out and sees a German tank blast his apartment building and calls for help when a large explosion occurs. In his, he's able to run out through the hole that the bomb made and climb up onto the, to escape. Um, there's two Nazi guys in the hospital. They shoot at him. Um, but he manages to sort of escape and he runs into this ruined hospital, which he's about to spend the next few few weeks or possibly months in. Um, yeah, this Antec guy is a full-on douche. I don't know what you guys think. Do you think he's worse than the... Um, is he worse than like the, the Nazi lady? Because he's like profiteering from pretending to help Jewish people. Like that is just... That is really not cool. <laughs> I hated that character. Mm. There's something about... Go <laughs> Oh god, uh, I, I mean, like, part of me, part of me just sees Antek, well, I don't know how, um, how, uh, what, what sort of situation Antek is in, but a part of me just sort of sees him as someone who's just trying to make his own way in the world, um, you know, a- full of, full of apathy for the consequences of his actions, but, you know, a, a part of me sympathises uh towards him in this desperate situation uh doing something to help himself you know uh you know but uh so i i do feel empathy but yes a a, a douche uh <laughs> very well but yes so yes uh, yeah i thought there's something away about the the actor he played and acted it because from right from the get-go you could kind of tell he was he wasn't to be trusted or at least i got that impression from mm. something about the way he acted and um yeah, so when he almost starved uh, Vladek to, to death, um, yeah, you could almost see it coming. And also, I thought there's another testament to like the validity of um, Spielman's character when the whiskey, uh, not the whiskey, the vodka that he's had for two weeks and just hasn't drunk, and he still has like all the stuff that was left. Like he's, he didn't drink it at all, even though he's starving, and he would be justified in doing so. But he still has all the remainder. Then when Antek finally comes back. 
which is just kind of an interesting goodwill gesture. Yeah. On another note, I, I think something that I thought was quite interesting um, when the Warsaw Uprising starts to go down, before the tank turns up, of course, that's pretty dramatic, a tank turning up on your doorstep. But uh, before that, one of the things that we see as a sort of consequence of this uprising that's going on is that suddenly there's no water in the tap and he's having to drink whatever dreg is in the saucepan and then there's no more water. And I think that's that's quite profound, partly because it's one of these things that we take for granted, water, and suddenly it's become something that's disastrously essential, but also that it's the kind of thing that you might not necessarily think of, especially when you're talking about an uprising that people are being shot at and blown up. But one of the things that's really important, uh, as, well as, as well as that, is that it's suddenly a lot harder to survive. And of course, when you've got an uprising on, on another note, I, I'm filling for time a little bit, but never mind. Um, <laughs> this is important, um, is that you can ask yourself, you can ask us about the Warsaw Uprising, and generally you can ask us about resistance. Was it worth it? Because we know this uprising took place for around 60 days without any major assistance from any external countries. It was just people in Warsaw fighting against the Nazis and generally losing. I mean, they, they held out for a while, but uh, it, was, it was never going to succeed. It was pretty much inevitable by that time that the Nazis were going to lose the war and that if you're going to have a mass uprising like that, there's going to be serious consequences. Buildings are going to be blown up. We're going to be seeing these grand destroyed streets. So was it worth it? So Spielman, um, he's he's um, witnessed this uprising now and uh, he's been forced to sort of move into this ruined hospital where he's he, he, he sort of lives there for a bit, uh, hiding from all the Nazis that are surrounding him. And one day he sees two Nazi guards uh, standing outside the hospital and lighting the dead bodies on the street on fire. Uh, time passes. We get the sense that he's in this hospital for quite some time. Um, we see him drinking the, the filthy water as well. Do you remember that? But there's like this bucket of murky water on the floor. And it's just like, another example of what um, starvation and dehydration do. You will just drink like anything at that point. Um, we, we see him sort of growing this really scraggly beard as well. And we see him pretending to play the piano to pass the time. Uh, one morning, Spielman notices that Nazi soldiers are torching all the surrounding buildings. He runs out of the hospital just in time to avoid the fiery blaze as they turn their blowtorches towards his hideaway. I did think a little bit like, can't he just go upstairs? Like, I, I don't know. I, I get it, though. Like, OK, the hospital gets totally destroyed. He's got to leave. He sneaks the out back. Sorry, John. <laughs> the plot's got to move on. have to do something. Sneaks out the back door and he climbs over the wall, limping into the now destroyed ghetto. That scene was that that, I, that scene was amazing. He jumps over that wall and the, and we see him walking down the, the 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 empty street and it zooms out and it's everything is ruined. It looked like um, Syria. That's what um, it made me think of. Just the city in absolute like post-apocalyptic it was incredible i don't know how the, i don't know how they did that if it was like cgi or special effects or they actually did build like a massive set it's probably some combination of both but it was a very spectacular shot yeah it was indeed um, that was fantastic he goes in search of food until he finds a can of vegetables all of a sudden he sees all of a sudden he hears soldiers outside and tries to hide climbing the stairs 
of a dilapidated building. He climbs to the top of the attic and pulls the, uh, pulls the ladder up after him. That night, as he struggles to open a can of vegetables to eat, Spielman is apprehended by a Nazi soldier who asks him who he is and what he is doing. Spielman tells him that he was a pianist, and the Nazi leads him into the next room where there is a piano. He asks Spielman to play. Spielman sits down at the, the, at the piano and plays. The Nazi sits down and listens to him playing. And when he is done, asks Spielman to show him his hideout. Spielman shows him his attic space and the Nazi leaves. Left alone, Spielman weeps. I don't know. Yeah, let's stop it there and talk a little bit about this because this is just uh, sort of a, the crescendo of the movie, really. Like, he's carrying that little, um, well, it's not little, it's actually quite sizable, like can of vegetables. It just, he's hugging it. He's got it so close, like it's his child or something. He's just like so hungry and so desperate to get in. And he has to, the hard, the, like the hardest thing must have been having the, the can. And then fleeing up into the attic and not having no way of getting in. And he had to stay there like for hours and hours and hours, starving, knowing he had this kind of food, but no way of getting into it. Mm. But no, yeah, the when... scene when he's playing the, the piano is certainly one of the best in the film. It's really, really emotional. The piece he plays is fantastic. And there's just something, yeah, just something else about that scene. It's just absolutely amazing. It shows you like the... Well, the whole time you're on tenterhook because you don't know whether the Nazi is just going to immediately execute him right after he's finished playing. Um, so that makes it kind of more tense. Uh, but eventually we realise he doesn't, and we kind of see humanity even in the in the Nazi officers or one of them. One thing that struck me about the piano scene, and I, it's an incredible scene in in every way, um, but it also kind of reminds me of of the earlier scenes. There's the scene where the Nazis make the Jews dance and then there's the other scene where they make them sing a song and it was essentially the same he was becoming a sort of performing monkey as it were and he's playing for his life but for the Nazi it's obviously just entertainment and it might seem a bit more highbrow than the entertainment that the other Nazis have have had but it's essentially the same and it's just the same cruelty and threat that has brought it on yeah i remember by by this point in the movie i was just even slightly before this like i remember being in the hospital with him and i remember being so desperate for him to survive because i just felt like he's been through so much and we've been through this character like how he can't die now like it's one of the saddest things when i think about um these kind of like the Holocaust, for example, and I learned people who died like the day before the war ended, for example, it's just like you go through all that suffering and all that pain. And it's just like right at the last moment. And it reminds me of um, apparently it was when the Allies liberated the, the camps. Um, apparently, a lot of Jewish people died because um, they were given access to f like food. And they'd been living in like a state of semi-starvation for so long. And when the Allies arrived, they were just giving them food, like all the food, abundance of food. And a lot of Jewish people died because the system just collapsed. They they ate so much food because that's what that's what happens during starvation. Mm. When, when someone's been in starvation, you have to very slowly reintroduce them to food. You can't just give them like a meal uh, and literally kill them. And a lot of Jewish people died that way. Just eating not like a normal meal after being in that state of starvation killed a lot of the Jews. And I just think like how cruel that is like the how how like to survive it all and to be out and to be safe and to think it's all over and then the very thing that kills you is like having access to food again it's just like stuff like that it makes me um kind of think quite deeply about the state of the world and how good or evil it is like it's intrinsically to fight. yeah yeah so i was so desperate for him to survive and then when he finally he's getting that food open and then when the can falls and we see it slowly roll and we see the german officer i was just like shit <laughs> <laughs>
Absolutely. And we'd, I'd, I'd reached the point where I was stressed about the fact that the can was losing water. I was thinking, <laughs> oh, God, he needs that water. When he was playing the piano, um, did you guys have any expectations about what was going to happen? Did you feel that he was going to die? Because I, I thought, when I was watching it, I, I kind of just had this feeling that the German was... But maybe you guys felt differently. Maybe you felt he was just going to blow it, like shoot him in the head as soon as he was done, that there was some real um, stakes. Mm, I, f- I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like it was less condescending than perhaps the early people with the dance. There was something about the that character that you... Yeah, you kind of had you had more hope that he was going to let him live than um, than kill him, I think. Uh, or maybe it's just because you wanted him to survive so much. But um, yeah, no, I've thought it was kind of just more than uh, a method of humiliating and getting entertainment. I thought it was just more of a chance for it was the officer was offering a chance um, for Spielman to kind of prove himself and prove his identity, and it obviously worked, I guess. Yeah, I think as well as proving his identity as a pianist. It was also about proving a sort of right to survive. That mm. that if he hadn't had that remarkable skill, it would have seemed to the Nazi to be kind of pointless to 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 keep him alive. Which is again, it, it's it's about him playing for his life. But I, I thought that there was a decent chance that the Nazi would would let him survive. But I also thought there was a decent chance that he wouldn't. And I wondered whether. The Nazi might even think that to kill him whilst he was playing the piano might be some kind of twisted act of mercy. But perhaps that was just me. This this film does oh, terrible Tristan, things. Tristan, you would make a sadistic <laughs> Nazi, but hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was in like the, it was like a defiant expression who he was because he's been he looks homeless. He's all his hair's long. He's like just like a homeless guy, um, beyond a homeless guy, but um. And then there's the juxtaposition of his sort of physical state and his appearance, but then he can sit down and he can play this like beautiful, um, create this beautiful music despite like outwardly looking in such a horrific state. Um, I was so worried when he sat down at the piano as well because all his body language is kind of shrunken at this point, and we haven't seen him play the piano since like the start of the film, um, pretty much. And I was like, are his fingers still going to work? I felt like genuine jeopardy. Like, please, like your finger, please. I hope your fingers haven't like frozen up or you haven't forgotten how to play. <laughs> but he I has. Was, I was worried. I was worried it was going to be the final cruel twist of the film that he was going to not know how to play. And then the Nazi would be like, you liar and shoot him. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. That would be the worst ending. <laughs> that would be so bad. I, I had no doubt in my mind. I knew that he was going to be able to play that piano because ultimately that's who he was. And throughout all of this, I felt that he had retained his sense of self. And so that's why I, I thought he would succeed. The film is called The Pianist, to be fair. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of almost why it was like an actor. I saw it almost weirdly as an act of since or rebellion, but it kind of makes sense given the point you just made that like the very fact that he was still able to pay, to play was like, no, I have resisted your attempts to destroy me. And this being a pianist is the essence of who I am. And despite everything you've done to me, despite the fact that I'm half, that I'm starving and I'm almost like on the verge of death, like this is who I am and you will not destroy it. Absolutely. Um, so Half and hot, hot. Oh, where are we up? To? So, yeah, the Nazi whose name is Hossenfeld um, 
comes back the next day and throws Spielman a parcel of food. Spielman asks him what the sounds of shooting are because he can hear shooting and like artillery out the window. And Hossenfeld tells him that the Russians are on the other side of the river and that he will only have to hold out for a few more weeks. Um, one day, Hossenfeld brings Spielman a large selection of supplies and tells him that the Nazis are retreating. I don't know how to thank you, Spielman says, to which Hoffenheld, uh, Hossenfeld replies, thank God, not me. Before leaving, Hossenfeld gives Spielman his coat. One morning... Spielman hears jaunty music playing on the radio of a passing truck and goes downstairs to investigate. On the street, he sees people walking towards him and runs to them, but they mistake him for a German soldier and shoot at him. I, I just knew that was going to happen. I was like, dude, take your jacket off. He, re <laughs> <laughs> he retreats into a building as the Russians shoot machine guns at him. Holding up his hands, he insists to the soldiers that he is Polish and they believe him, asking, why the fucking coat? I'm cold, he replies. Um, yeah, so I that part there where they start shooting at him i was just like i was really like not seriously like seriously like this can't be how he dies I mean, it's just like, it was so it was just like one final little thank god he did something. could have so easily got shot just wearing that coat wearing he made it he made it if he's learned anything at this point it's how to like dodge bullets <laughs> he's a survivor he's, he could, could give um oh what's the guy from matrix all i've forgotten his name give him a run for his money Neo, yeah <laughs> Neo, that's it <laughs> but equally, just... <laughs> uh, equally, I, I found, although obviously that was a very worrying moment um, uh, when he's being shot at there, that line, why the fucking coat, it's like a sort of breath out after you've been holding your breath for a long time, because it's the first time for ages that anyone has been able to sort of actually condemn the Nazis and not just condemn them, but condemn them openly and as though it's a sort of fact, an agreed fact that they're, they're irredeemably evil. And so it is a relief to actually hear someone saying that. Another thing I, I thought about, um, this is sort of a, a general point about the movie, but we see um, like timestamps appear throughout it. You know, we, it says like March 1943, some, this and this 1944. And it got me thinking, like, Spielman has no idea. We know as an audience that he's only got to hold out until 1945. We know that that's going to be fine. But I imagine being in that scenario, and I guess he's got a vague idea that the the allies are involved. And certainly towards the end, he's got an understanding. Certainly, well, Hossenfeld tells him directly that, you know, you've only got to hold out a few weeks. But for large chunks of this movie, he has no idea that how long this war... He, he has no idea that, that the Nazis are going to lose. And I imagine how you know depressing that would be to be in some of the situation he's he, he's in and not knowing that he's only got to hold out until 45 you know he could he's living in some of these flats you know he, he might have been thinking that he has to stay there for the next 10 20 years or maybe for the rest of his life like he's got no there's no assurance that this ends mm. but he, he prevails nonetheless and he, he he doesn't even know uh he doesn't even have a sense of time either because um you know he's he's just been a uh, in solitude for so long so that's uh you know another another way you feel sorry for him he's he's you know uh he has no it could be 1940 43 for all he knows so yeah he literally gives his watch away so he's mm. yeah he says, he says that line was it like life is more important than time or something which is quite or interesting food. or food food <laughs> yeah <laughs> So um, sometime later, we see a group of Poles walking past imprisoned Nazis. One of them belittles the Germans, cursing them for taking away his violin. Hossenfeld is among the Germans. He's, sort of been, he's been captured by the Red Army. And um, 
and and Hossenfeld stands to ask the violinist if he knows Spielman. Of course, I know Spielman. The man says, and Hossenfeld asked him to get Spielman to come and help him. Um, as the Russian guard throws him to the ground, Hossenfeld yells his name, but the guy doesn't hear. We see Spielman now clean cut once again, recording piano for the radio. It sort of ends where he started, kind of, um, but no bombs going off this time. The violinist who spoke to Hossenfeld comes into the studio and smiles at his old friend. Later, he tells he tells Spielman about the German officer. He's forgotten his name. Well, he didn't even hear it. Um, we see Spielman playing piano with an orchestra in a large concert hall. A title card tells us that Spielman continued to live in Warsaw until his death in July 6, 2000. He was 88 years old. And another tells us that Hossenfeld died in a prisoner of war camp in 1950. And that's kind of the end. It doesn't fade to black. We see him kind of playing in the credits roll while we watch him play. But that is the end. We've arrived at the end. How did we feel about these final few scenes? Oh, sorry, Owen. Yeah, I think it's like the fact that... Um... It's Hossenfeld that dies in the prison war of camp. The only person that showed him humanity and saved his life. Um, and he's he basically subjected to the same fate and then ends up dying. It's like the cruelest irony um, one can imagine, really. It's, yeah, it's a very hard ending. It's interesting because we, we kind of, it, it is presented as a kind of injustice. And we think, oh, no, he, he did help him and now he's going to die. But is that, I mean... Is he redeemable? He was a because Nazi officer. Yeah. He was a Nazi, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fair. And he might have killed him, and he certainly killed a lot of other people. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been a Nazi officer. He was not exactly at the bottom anyway. He was signing things off. He was agreeing things. So it's it's kind of ambiguous there, I think. Yeah, I don't want to open a massive can of worms, but I think the point <laughs> you're getting at is, like, is, is every Nazi... And it's very, you know, our culture sort of entrains us to say, yes, of course, every Nazi's evil. But then there are nuances. So Schindler's List, which is a film I referenced earlier, Schindler wasn't a, um, a Nazi officer or a party official, but he was a member of the Nazi party, as were, I don't know, hundreds of tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of Germans were members of the party. And um, Schindler wasn't evil. So it's it's it, you're right. Like it, this the whole conversation about. Um, the morality, uh, the righteousness of Hosenfeld is like a very deep and complex discussion. Perhaps the moral is that in in war, there's no justice. Maybe well, that's perhaps, perhaps the moral is something else entirely. Who <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I kind of felt there's the, there's the one scene at the end where um, um, Spielmann and, and his violinist friend are like out in the countryside and it, we're watching the sunset and it's quite a, it's quite a beautiful scene the colors the, the saturation is all about the colors are back and they're dressed nicely he's well shaved he's well groomed it's like return to normality um but then slightly like just a few scenes later we learn that oh no um Hossenfeld has been shipped off to this like soviet gulag and it made me think like having an understanding of history and understanding like um the soviet like gulag system like the film kind of leads you to believe like oh it's all fine now it's all the en- end of the story like end of evil it's all the world has been fixed but we know from our historical understanding that no the same evil continue to perpetuate itself and continues to perpetuate itself today and i think that's kind of something the film wants us to think about that the, the you know the, the the end of the holocaust didn't represent the end of human suffering you know or of genocide or of persecution still like continues this day the film like kind of made me like very like grateful it made me you know this was only this wasn't even 100 years ago this was so recent in cities which we can like visit today you know just uh, it it's so we see it as such an alien thing like it's so it seems like far removed from our lives 
like it belongs to like an entirely different age but it was it was so recent historically i think it's we should always remember that how like i don't think we're immune from the same psychological forces create same psychological and historic forces which created the holocaust i don't think we've like moved beyond that i think that's always going to be a part of who we are and i think films like this have to be made to remind us that's still there absolutely yeah no, it's a very good depiction of um of the holocaust as we said at the start it's very authentic and the fact that roman polanski went through it just lends to its credibility really and yeah it's an important film to be made i think would you um would you guys recommend this film to friends yeah yes yeah. i might warn yeah. them that it's a little bit heavy i'll give them <laughs> just say like that's been the right mood for it but you know i think it's something that i think it's quite an important film to watch actually because it is such a, a good reminder of the atrocities that took place less than 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's a strong perspective on those atrocities, especially we, we said at the beginning how how significant it was that people thought that it wasn't going to get any worse and it kept getting worse. This idea that it couldn't happen here, well, it did, and it can, and it might, and it is. So that is an important perspective to be offering on these sorts of atrocities. So um, what would we give... I think I... I think everyone should at some point like engage with with Holocaust films um, as a way of learning about it. Like obviously do reading and watch documentaries, but I think films like this and this film, um, it's it's it made me think a lot about Schindler's List. It's kind of a similar style of films. Those are the two Holocaust movies which stick most like pertinently in my head. I have seen a few others. I remember watching The Boy with Striped Pajamas, um, but I kind of felt The Boy with Striped Pajamas. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that movie, but it uh, it. I, I don't feel like it treats the Holocaust with the necessary heaviness. And I understand why. I don't want this to become like a podcast about the boys' striped pyjamas. But like, I appreciate the fact that although the heaviness of the movie makes it kind of hard to watch in some respects, that's the only way of it's kind of necessary part of how you create a movie about the Holocaust. Mm. Yeah, there should be no censorship or anything. Mm. Just be warped and all. Yeah, like if you're going to make a movie and you're going to depict the Warsaw Ghetto... You shouldn't depict the Warsaw Ghetto without the bodies being on, them, mm. because that's not accurate. That's desensitising it. I mean, I don't. I'm thinking out loud here. I understand for certain audiences, like the Boy in Striped Pajamas is a film you can show to. Ch- um, it's designed and and the Holocaust should be introduced to all, not like super young children. <laughs> it, it should, you know, it should it should be discussed once like a child reaches a certain age. It should be we shouldn't not teach history to you. But yeah, I I think um presenting historical atrocities as accurately as possible is a good, when it's mm. dealt with maturity and sensitivity as this film like clearly is yeah the, the, I, I i guess the boy in the striped pajamas is one thing which removes it from having such a punch as the pianist is that it's um focused around a non-jewish uh nazi boy and so uh, whereas this one is following the life of a Jewish person who actually goes through a thing. But yes, yeah, but yeah. So I think uh, just to sort of finish the podcast off, let's give it a rank out of 100. We've been doing this for, for every film we've done so far. So has anyone got any strong feelings about where they'd, where they'd rate this? Bear in mind, it's, it's got like 96% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is very, very, very high. I reckon I could give it a 94. 94, I'll go wow. with. Yeah, I thought it's very... Very harrowing film, but very good. Um, yeah, an important watch, actually. Really enjoyed it. 
well, I'm not sure if enjoy is the right word, but I value it. <laughs> John, John, what would you? Oh, oh, it's it's difficult because it's such a different film to a film that I'd usually watch. Um, so it's so yes, it, it it like how you say, Owen. It's it's kind of not such a measure of how much I enjoy it, but how much I value it. Um, so I yeah, I would I would give it I would give it a a a ninety um for for the the punch that it gives and the, the the importance of it and you know the how it how it made me feel it 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 um it it really uh it makes you feel stuff this film uh, a lot yes yeah well i i think it it feels almost slightly glib to to be rating it on the same scale but last <laughs> week i rated the truman show I thought the Truman Show was was great and profound, but it it would be, I think, it feels to me that it would be inappropriate to give this a lower score, and I gave that 89, so I'm going to give this a a strong 91, because I think it was a really effective and, and moving and powerful and sensitive take on the Holocaust. Yeah, I agree with you, it's kind of hard to, like, rank this movie, like, I, I do agree. You make like a really good point there, because um, it almost feels like to give it like a low score in terms of um, like the film, the the film would be like to diminish its message. So <laughs> I don't want to do that. So I think I'm gonna give it like like a, a high 80s, low 90s, somewhere around there. It's a really good film, but it's it's more than just a piece of entertainment. It's like a historical chronicle. Mm. Well, as you say, it's almost like a documentary, as as you were saying earlier on, as it's it's based on real life. So yes. Uh. Cool. So um, thanks for doing this, guys. Um, the pianist. It's the heaviest one we've done so far, I think. And now we've dealt with like a Holocaust movie. I think we can deal with like. <laughs> I think we could talk about any other movie, really. We've talked about like possibly the most like sensitive, contentious topic that exists, and I think we've done it in like a good way. So I'm sure our many listeners will um, value our opinion (laughs) but um thanks for doing this guys um and i'll see you next week thank you all right take care this was a lot this was a really good i was going to say again i was going to say this was a lot of fun but i mean it was fun it was fun but it was it also had a lot of value so yes yeah this was a good podcast Uh, thanks for it